Amen. It sure is a blessing to see everyone this morning, family and friends, and of course all the members of the church here. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Exodus means the way out, the departure. We've looked at this wonderful book and this wonderful narrative as a journey of redemption. Truly a journey of redemption for the children of Israel as they escape from bondage and receive the law of God and then are welcomed into the promised land. But their story is also our story. We see ourselves in every, in every uh, stop that they make on the way and we learn about God's dealings with us. And so we're going to finish up the 15th chapter and we're going to look at verses 22 through 27 this morning. And the title is, Living a Bitter Sweet Life. Living a Bitter Sweet Life. So we know from our story that they have escaped from Egypt. They received their marching orders and they marched out. And they were lavished with the treasures of Egypt as they went on their way. Not a dog barked the night they left. Young went, old went, middle-aged, rich, poor. It says that there was not even one infirmed among them that was not able to make the journey. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And they went out with a mighty hand. But then the wilderness enclosed around them and God led them into a particular place where it would seem that it was against all odds for them to be able to live out the freedom, the liberty, and experience the promises that God had made to them. But against all odds, the man of God said, Stand still and see. And God delivered His people in a mighty way as a great picture, not only of our baptism and and identifying with Christ and freedom from our old life and our old self and freedom from Egypt, but also a great picture of the resurrection to fill the walls of death and close us and old age, but then to be delivered through the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ to the other side and to worship God. Oh, how God uh, changed their tune so quickly that day. I'm glad that God often does that. Aren't you glad that God has changed your tune in your life before? But we do see here that they begin the will, what is called the wilderness wanderings. And if you will, join with me here, and we'll see the beginning of this part of the narrative. Exodus 15, beginning in verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, 
and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is an old story that took place so many years ago. But Father, you can bring it to life today. Through faith, Father, we can see and we can take part and, and we can experience, Father, your same healing power, your same tremendous help to your people. Lord, help us to never be a murmuring or a complaining people, but help us to be a thankful people and a worshiping people. Lord, help us to live upon your grace and according to your law. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, living a bitter, sweet life. I'm glad I can include both words in the title. For wouldn't it be sad if we said, we only said living the bitter life, right? But we know that there are parts of our lives, even as Christians, in which we experience some of the bitterness of the curse that is upon this world, some of the bitterness of our own disobedience against the Lord. But hallelujah, there's the sweet as well. And one day all will be sweet in the sweet by and by, by the sweet grace of God. But here in our story, the children of Israel have been redeemed. The blood of the lamb, of the Passover lamb, you remember, was shed and wiped over and death passed over them. And they were able to come forth out of Egypt, out of the world. And then they escaped the bondage. They escaped the oppressor and they worshiped God. And now, as the rest of the story has showed different parts of redemption, the wilderness wanderings in regards to our spiritual redemption are much likened unto the sanctification process that we go through as children of God in this life. And so God is going to use these wilderness wanderings, as they're called, these several stops along the way to the promised land to prove and to try and to strengthen and to, and to mature the people of God, much as He does in, the, in our lives through different trials and tribulations that we go through. I just want you to read the Apostle Paul's commentary on the wilderness wanderings because I think that it is very eye-opening uh, from someone that was so far removed from that time period, him looking back and this, then applying it also to the New Testament age and the age of grace that we live in. So turn with me uh, first before we dig into our text to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because he said we should apply these things to our own lives. And we don't want to miss that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them... God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the what? In the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples 
to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Beloved, it's a long march to Canaan land. It would be nice if in this life we were regenerated and then glorified. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? But God has decided for His glory and for our good that for most of us it is not going to be that way. But there's going to be a period and a process of sanctification in our, in our lives where He proves us, where we prove God, and where we are prepared for the great things that He has in store for all of His children. And sometimes it is bittersweet. So, let's dive in. The first thing that I want us to consider this morning is that often this world is a barren and bitter wilderness. It says in our text that after the Red Sea, they went out into the wilderness of Shur. The word Shur means like a wall. And how often that that is so applicable to our Christian walk. We are serving Christ. We are loving Christ. Things come into our lives and it's like we hit a wall. And we're knocked back or we're knocked down or we're, we have difficulty seeing the way forward. And that's what this world is. None of us should expect the friendship of the world. None of us in here as children of God should expect the world to love us. Should we? Should we expect the love of the world toward us? Did they love Jesus? Was Jesus' life just an easy path from the time He was baptized until He had ascended unto the Lord? Was it an easy path? No, but we know that God has had one son without sin, but no sons without suffering. Even think about it in Jesus' own personal life. Right after He was baptized... Where's the first thing that the Spirit led him to? Somebody say it out loud. The wilderness, right? And there he was proved. There he was tested. The Lord of glory himself, the God-man, went into the wilderness for 40 days and was tested in the same manner. And there he defeated the enemy with the word of God and came out the better uh, for it as a servant of the Lord, though there was no imperfection in him yet the scripture tells us that he learned obedience through the things that he what that he suffered even the god man even the lord jesus christ so let none of us think that because we're proved or that sometimes that we have to go through bitter things that we're not loved of god no beloved we are loved of god and he's going to prove his love to us 
as we go through a barren and bitter wilderness. Even Christ himself felt the test of the wilderness. Now, you know, we have wonderful lives, as Brother Andy mentioned. You know, how incredible it is that, that we have been so blessed, we have been so spoiled by the providence of God in our lives that we would say, well, sometimes it's a struggle me, for me to be thankful because I have so much. That's really unheard of in the history of the world. And we have been blessed so abundantly, but yet we all in this room, every one of us that are of any age, we can remember and know times of great bitterness. Death is the bitter stroke. When we face it or when we lose loved ones to uh, cancer, sometimes things that we just have faced in, a, in our lives, some of you that are young, I know that sometimes bitter things have come upon you, things hard to bear, hard to uh, reckon with all the, the promises and the goodness of God, why He would allow such things, why did he put them by the Red Sea? Why did he lead them into the wilderness of Shur and put them in a position? Because this is the Lord leading them. This is God's doing. This is God's leading of them. They're not experiencing this lack of water or these bitter waters because of something that they did wrong. No, but God is leading us. And if he leads you to it, beloved, know that he's going to lead you through it. That is his promise. But this world is often a barren and bitter wilderness. And there are two main purposes for the wilderness wanderings. There are two main purposes for all the bitternesses that we, or, or most of the bitternesses that we experience in our life. The very first purpose, and we all know that we need this so much, is to humble us. Amen? We are so full of pride just by human nature. And we need the dross burned off of us. We all know that we do. Even those of us that have been in walking with the Lord in the kingdom, we could look and if we put ourselves under the microscope of God, we would see so many impurities, so many imperfections. And, and if we were in our right mind, we would say, Lord, purge me of these things. Well, there's only one way. For that to take place in our life. And that is through the furnace of affliction. They needed to go this way. They needed to be tested. They needed to be proved. And so do we. Look in uh, the book of Acts chapter 14. Just for a little sidestep here. Go back with me to the uh, New Testament. Here in this holy history in the book of Acts. And I just want to pick up uh, this thought. And because so many Christians, I think, have a more difficult or harder time than they should because they are expecting too much from this world. They're expecting too much uh, from this life. This life was not designed or or meant by God for us to just have a rose-turned pathway. We're strangers and pilgrims here. This is, this is not our home. We can't make it our home. We can't expect just milk and honey in this world or in this life. 
you will be much deceived and much disappointed if your outlook of your life and world is that way. But here it is. Here uh, the disciples are doing that great work that God gave them in verse 22 of Acts 14. Remind yourself of this today. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them. Beloved, let me tell you, the first century church lived through hard times, through difficult times, through much persecution. Did they serve and many of them had to give their lives for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of them lost everything for the sweet name of Jesus and to be numbered among them that believed in Him. Paul is not writing to people who, who, who uh, didn't uh, know what it meant to suffer. Even when the Apostle Paul writes to us, encourages us in the Pauline epistles about giving thanks always, he wrote that from a prison cell, beloved. Never forget. Never forget. And exhorting them, oh, this is what we need, to continue in faith and that we must... Not that we may or that we might, but that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So the main purpose of the wilderness wanderings, the main purpose of my sanctification in my life is to humble me, but to also show me that God is with us. Aren't you glad that it's twofold? That it's not just that God is trying to uh, trim me off or, or to make me a better follower of Him, but also He is revealing things to me about Himself that empower my soul, that empower my life, that, that increases my faith to believe in that which is to come. Because, beloved, that which is to come is what we long for. If there's not a longing in your heart for something better than this life, I doubt you to be a child of God. If never in moments you say, Lord Jesus, I wish you would come right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm so tired of the bitterness of this world. Maybe you're not living for Him the way that you should. But if you've had those moments, and when you sing those songs about heaven, that they're not just sentimental hogwash, but they're the hope of your undying heart. Beloved, then you know God has sweet purposes in some of the bitter things that He allows you to go through. Now, I've been with many of you. I've been with many of you in those bitter moments. I've seen you shed those tears and I've seen those cries from your heart. But what you would say is, to me is, Brother Nathan, God used those things in my life to bring me to be the person that I needed to be. And He makes everything beautiful in His time. And not only has He proved me, but I have proved Him. And I have found Him faithful. Oh, beloved, here they are brought. You know, remember how we said God changed their tune, right? They... In the, before the Red Sea, they said, it's all over, you know, oh, we're done for. And then just moments later, a day passed, and then they're praising and glorifying God for His victory. But now, three days later, they're back to the same old tune, right? Oh, beloved, how quickly we change our tune when we hit the wall, right? And that the tune changes. 
And how often does God use the scenic route? You know, there was a direct route to Canaan land. There was a direct route to the Jordan River. It was by the sea. That's the way everybody else went. And sometimes, you know, that's the tendency of our heart. And that's the way that we would go. We would go the path of least resistance. We would never be challenged. We would never be proved. We would never face certain things. And we would never grow. And we would never be sanctified. But God uses the scenic route, doesn't he, Brother Andy? He takes us through the scenic route so that we can learn that we can trust him. And that's the purpose of this, the two main purposes, to humble us and to show us that God is with us. But we better embrace that this world for the Christian is often a barren and bitter wilderness. And we must accept that that is the way that the world is going to hate us and the devil is going to oppress us. But hallelujah, God's going to use all of that to sanctify us, to strengthen us, to prove us, to purify us, and to show you without a shadow of a doubt, you would have never made it without me. Can you testify that to this morning? Lord, wherever I'm at, wherever I'm at today, I would have never made it without you. Can y'all give me an Amen. You would have never made it where you are without Him. But hallelujah, He's promised to always be with us. And that's what He's showing to His people. I would like to pause here just for a second and think about our pilgrim fathers again. These pilgrim fathers, the Puritans, had experienced such terrible persecution in Europe. So much that they were, able to, they were willing to leave the lives and the homes, the places that they loved pack all their belongings in these little bitty tiny boats. And believe me, they were tiny boats. They weren't the Queen Mary or, or the Titanic boats that they came over. These were rough conditions. Uh, and, and so they also, in a sense, passed through a sea, didn't they? Uh, through the Atlantic Ocean. It took about three months uh, to make that journey. Many of them died on the way. Many of them bore their children on the way. And then they got here at a terrible time of year up in New England. And they barely survived uh, the first year. Half of them died. They called that time the starting time. It was a time of bitterness for them. No wonder they thought, oh, why did we, why did we uh, make that journey? Why did we uh, try to uh, make a new start? Why didn't we just stay where we were? Oh, but... But then spring came, and summer came, and the harvest came, and a, and a new boatload of Puritans came and benefited from what they endured and what they started. And, b- beloved, we are still experiencing some of the blessings of that courage and faith and how God proved them and how they were willing to face all of those things. Yes, journeyed the Atlantic, endured the starving time, and then... The time of thanksgiving. Don't you love how this narrative showed they made a journey? They experienced bitterness. God turned the bitterness to sweet. And then God leads them to an oasis. Oh, how good is our God. And in the middle, he said, oh, yeah, by the way, God reveals himself for the first time as a, as a healing God. This is, the only, this is the second place in the scriptures where God is mentioned of as healing. The first was, you remember, Abimelech was cursed by God because he took Abraham's wife, Sarah, and Abraham prayed for him, and God healed Abimelech. That's the first 
mention of God healing in the Bible. Well, this is the second mention, but it's a theophany of God. It's God revealing himself, revealing part of himself and his character to his people. I'm a healing God. I'm a Jehovah Raphia. I'm the God that healeth. And isn't that exactly what we see in Christ? The great physician, the gentle healer. He is who he says that he is, beloved. No, doctors don't heal anyone. Medicines don't heal anyone. It is God that uses those things to heal us. All healing comes from God. All healing comes from God. Those things would not work to help us heal unless the way that God designed the human body and designed the elements of the universe. It's all God. Doctors aren't doing that. Medicines aren't doing that. Pharmaceutical companies aren't doing that. Just like it wasn't the tree that healed the bitter waters, it was God using the tree to do it. Who made the tree? God. Amen? Oh, second point. Second point. Only God can satisfy and make life sweet. The shallow cisterns of this world will always run dry. The shallow cisterns of this world will always run dry. But God satisfies the soul. Psalm 63. Oh, let's turn there and read from the sweet psalmist of Israel. Did David, you know, if if you lived a life without any bitterness... Your life as a Christian would contradict the life of every Christian in the Bible. It would, wouldn't it? Psalm 60, 63. Look at this, what the sweet psalmist of Israel, he went through many bitter things. But I love this, what he says here. Psalm 63, verse 1, listen to this. Would you pray this as well? This is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee, my flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Oh, beloved, only God can satisfy. Only God can make life sweet. Maybe there were some here that were thinking back to the Nile and and the what the Nile was to Egypt and to their lives and how that they always had plenty to drink. And maybe we know how their hearts were because many times they said, let's go back to Egypt. We had plenty of water there. But what God is teaching is, look, stay with me. Believe in me. Follow me. Be with my people. I can provide everything that you need. I can even make bitter water sweet. I can even bring water from a rock. If you need it. Hallelujah. John 7 and 37. We want to hear the words here of Christ. In the last day. In the last day. The great day of the feast. Jesus stood up and cried saying. If any man thirst. Let him come to me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah. The shallow cisterns of this world will run dry. Moses, he had to be shown the tree as we have to be shown 
the cross, right? Don't you see the symbolism, the spiritual symbolism here of this tree that made the bitterness of life, of experience sweet? Oh, the cross was a, it's a bitter scene, isn't it? There we see the, the beloved of our souls. There we see Jesus Christ, the gentle healer, in anguish, in pain, in agony, in forsaken, in a wilderness. What was one of the seven sayings of the cross? As we have upon it, he said, I thirst. And they gave him gall and bitterness to drink. But oh, how the cross and the work of it has made our life sweet, has made our hopes sweet, has made our future sweet. How it, as we consider the things that we go through in life, compared to that, we say, Lord, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's nothing to be compared with what Christ suffered on our behalf to give us something far greater. But I just wanted you to see that Moses... He was as helpless in this situation as you and I are in our own situations. But don't you love Moses' response? And oh, this is the response. When you hit the wall, when you feel yourself in the bitterness of life, cry out to the Lord. He hears. He is waiting for you to ask for His help to see the humbleness of your heart and your faith reaching out to a healing God. And Moses, it says in our text, he cried out unto the Lord. And God said, look at that tree. He had to be shown the tree. Moses didn't know that the tree would do that. Just as you and I can't see the cross unless God reveals it to us. To the world, it's a shameful thing. It's, it's a stumbling block to them, right? And an offense. But to us, it is the sweetest thing that God could ever reveal to us. How that our healer, our Jehovah, our Jesus, was willing himself to be on the tree of the cross and suffer the curse for us that we would never thirst in regards to our spiritual needs only God can satisfy and make life sweet. We can cry unto the Lord and we find out that He is the healer. And what sanctification through redemption does, it, it weans us from the carnal comforts of, of this life. It, it teaches us to set our affection on things above and not on the things of the earth. So Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, He says, don't take thought. Don't let this be the driving force of your agenda or of your wants about what you shall what? Eat or what you shall drink or what you shall put on for your Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now, beloved, one of the powerful things that I think that I, I hope that you will Dig out of this for your life. God deals with His people in grace in this passage, doesn't He? He gives them something and He helps them in a way that they do not deserve. And, and it all happens and they are restored through the grace of God. But notice that grace does not mean lawlessness. 
Shall we sin that grace may abound? What? God forbid. Now God gave them those sweet waters. God gave them these 12 wells and 70 palm trees as an oasis. But he also said, you need to do and live the right way. Can I get an amen? He said, you need to live the right way and be blessed through that in your lives. And you have all the grace from me that you need. Oh, hallelujah. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So, two main points that we've looked at. This world is a barren and bitter wilderness. God is going to humble us, but also show us that He's always with us through these wilderness, through these wanderings, through these... It says here in our text, do you read what it says? There He what? He proved them. He proved them. He's going to prove you. He's going to test you. He's going to try you. But beloved, even in the temptations, as I didn't finish Paul's commentary there, the end of that commentary that we read in Corinthians, he said, every temptation that is taking you is common to man, and God will with the temptation make a way of escape. Oh, God! only God can satisfy and make life sweet. All right, thirdly, we're going to move fast now. Stay with me. Stay with me. So what was bitter in this narrative and, and why was it so? What was bitter and why? I ask you, life isn't all sweet, is it? But hallelujah, it's not all bitter. What, what has been bitter in your life? What has been bitter in mine and why? It's a great question. To ponder, to think, to meditate on, to learn from, to be able to teach others that are coming up after us as they're going to face that as well. I think, and my mind turns to Job, the great patriarch, through of no open sin or, or uh, we know Job had sin, but we know in the story, in the narrative of Job, did he suffer, beloved? Was Job proved? Was his faith proved? Yes. And it was, did he have bitterness? Did he experience bitterness? Yes, he did. And it wasn't because of any open or public sin that Job had. Job was an upright man, one that feared God, a one that God, as the sons of God met together and came to present themselves before God, that God would even say about Job, have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in all the earth? I, I doubt that, not to condemn any of you, but I know that, that God wouldn't say that about this, this sinner man. If Job needed to be proved and tested, how much more that, that you and I are in need of that as well. But Job learned through patience and perseverance the mercy of God. Yes, he did. Let's, let's just, before we look at the bitterness there, let's listen to Job. Because sometimes I, I think we forget we, we think that we're the only ones that have it hard. And we don't even really have it hard. You know, what is, what is you know, beloved, I know we are, and I'm glad we're blessed. And I'm glad that we're not suffering and that we're not, we're not persecuted. But we do need to realize and praise God for how good that He is to us and not murmur and, and complain and, and whine in life. To remember so many 
listen to this. I doubt that any of us have been to this place, maybe to some degree. Job chapter 10, my soul is weary of my life. Whew, that sounds like some bitterness to me. Sounds like a man that lost all of his children. Sounds like a man that lost all of his possessions. Sounds like a man that lost all of his health. Lost the sweetness of, of, his, of the close felt relationship that he had had with God. And is asking why. Why the bitterness? The soul, my soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Anybody in here ever been without water for three days? We, we ain't been without hardly anything all of our lives, right? We look at, at the wilderness wanderings and sometimes we're kind of, you know, from our ivory towers, we look at them and say, man, three days, all it took, and they're back to complaining again. You've been without water for three days? And then at the end of the three days, they thought that they had found water, and then the water that they had found, they couldn't even drink. Job 23, 2. Oh, listen to this. Even today is my complaint bitter, and my stroke is even heavier than my groaning. That's real talk right there. Life's that tough and hard sometimes, even for God's beloved, chosen Elect people it is. Israel's bondage was bitter. Do y'all remember that in the story? If you go back in the book of Exodus and you read, it expresses it and it, and, and it is quoted that exact way that their bondage was bitter to them. You better remember and, and be conscious of, of how it was in life before you knew the grace of God. And never complain. It says that the herbs that they ate at the Passover meal, the herbs, the very herbs that they ate were what? They were bitter. To remind them. To remind them. And every time that they ate them every year, it was to remind them of the way it was before they were redeemed and brought out. To never forget. Israel's bondage was bitter. The herbs were bitter. Here, and whenever you experience in this life, and none of us have really experienced this that much, but being in a condition of want is bitter. Here they lacked water. We're talking about two million people that were needing something to drink. Little children. They were marching in a dusty place. My throat's getting dry. I need a drink. Sorry, anybody needs to go to the back. Go ahead. They were thirsty. This was real. It was real. These were bitter things. Their bondage had been bitter. The herbs were bitter. The condition, that's the wilderness. The condition is the wilderness itself, the being without water. It's bitter sometimes. We find ourselves, maybe as a young person, and you long to have someone uh, to love, and it seems so hard to wait upon the Lord to to bring that person that loves Him and loves His kingdom and will love you in the right way. And sometimes it's hard to be in a condition of want. We want things, don't we? 
We want things. Sometimes overwanting can bring a bitterness into life. Not wanting, truly wanting the right things can cause the bitterness. But then also I think the failed expectations here. Failed expectations can be bitter. Am I the only one? Expectations of myself, expectations of you, expectations of those who rule over us, expectations at my job, expectations in general here. Oh, relief has finally come. The scouts out and said, we found water. Oh, I'm so thirsty, but I'm finally going to get a drink. This this circumstance that I've been praying about is finally going to come to an end or or God has is going to, you think he's going to do something and then he does totally opposite of what you thought he was going to do. And you have to deal with the felt expectations of your own heart or of yourself or of your life. Here is the bitter water of Mara. Oh, don't we remember Naomi? She said, I went out full, but I came back empty. She had expectations as she went to Moab with her husband and her sons. And there was food there. The grass was greener on the other side. She had expectations. But we know how it turned out. As she came back, she said, don't call me blessed. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord has afflicted me and my life is bitter. But oh, the grace of God. We'll read through that. I'm not going to spoiler alert on Brother Andy's messages. But we already see it getting better, right? As they rest under the shadow of the Almighty, as we learned last time. But to me, the most bitter, the true bitterness of this passage and the true bitterness of our life is not the bondage, it's not the herbs, it's not the wanting, it's not the felt expectations, it's the murmuring and complaining that comes up from our sinful hearts. That's the true bitterness of the story. It's not the water of Mara. It's the unthankfulness. It's the doubting and presuming that God doesn't care. That's the true bitterness of the story. And that's why we are commanded through sanctification and through faith to put away bitterness out of our lives. Just a couple of scriptures real quick here. Ephesians. Remember I told you that the Apostle Paul, as he writes these letters, he's writing them from the the prison. Paul could be bitter. Paul could have been a bitter person. He was really mistreated by his own people. And then a lot of times he was even abandoned by uh, uh, the church and church people. Many times. And we read that he experienced many bitter things. But here he writes to us in the book of Ephesians. Read this and make this a prayer in your life. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Or do you have bitterness in your heart? Somebody that wronged you? I pray God it's not me. Please forgive me and let, and let healing come. What are you a bitter? Are, is there bitternesses in your heart against God? Cry out to Him. Remove all bitterness from me, Lord. I have it so much better than I ever deserved. And Lord, whatever else I've lost, I have you. And that's more worth more than anything. That's the best of all. And you promised that I would never lose that. 
but know the joy of that more and more. So wean me from carnal delights. Wean me from wants and my wrong expectations. And let me cry out to you and learn to trust in you that you're a healing God, a providing God, a benevolent God. But you also are going to use time and experience and life to make me more like your son so that I may be received into your presence one day. And I believe when we're on the other side and we're able to look back, we'll see it like that song says, farther along, I would know all about it. I'm tempted and tried here. But one day, we're going to be by those 12 wells and those sweet palm trees. And we're going to say it was worth it all. Hebrews 12, 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. They're just bitter. And they can't even enjoy the sweetness in their life that is there. But it's a bittersweet life, isn't it? It really is. So, that's what's bitter and why. But as we close, what is sweet and why? What is sweet? What is sweet in the story? Well, I think the main thing is that we see God's providence. That God ordains that our weaknesses, shall we call it that which is bitter, manifest His sweet grace to us in our lives. Does it not? Didn't the Apostle Paul himself said, I have this thorn in my flesh and I asked the Lord three times to deliver me from it, from this bitterness. But God said, my what is sufficient for thee? My grace is sufficient for thee and my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. So the Apostle Paul says, I'll glory. I'll glory in my tribulations. For the sufferings of this world shall not be compared with the glory that is to come. The bitter martyr waters of Mara do not compare to the oasis of Elam in our story. It cannot be compared. It cannot be. So God has ordained that our bitter weaknesses manifest His sweet grace. What is sweet in the story and why? That there was a remedy. There's a remedy. There was transformed water. That's sweet. That there is a healing God. Is that not sweet in the story? And that God expresses to him, us to him, himself to us that way. I'm the God that healeth thee. What is sweet and why that there's an oasis in Elam, which is a sweet picture of the church in heaven. Beloved, this is your oasis of Elam. This is, this is a place where you receive the sweetness of God in your life. This is where that which is bitter is made sweet in the life. And it's the, 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 the oasis of Elam. Isn't it beautiful that there, how many tribes were there? And how many wells were there? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Twelve. How many did he send out on the second, second mission? Seventy, right? How many palm trees were there? Seventy. Sweet oasis. A great picture, not only of the church, but of heaven and paradise. That is to come, a place of rest, a place where we're, we're satisfied, where we're safe. Oh, a place where all bitterness is forgotten. A place where Jesus 
Himself will come and wipe every tear from your eye and make all things new. A place where we'll never want. A place where our expectations will always be surpassed. A place that won't be a wilderness and barren anymore, but a home. Not not a wall uh, to fight against, but a wall to keep us in and keep evil out forever. Oh, beloved, isn't it beautiful? Man, may the Lord bless us to learn to never complain again, right? Never complain, never murmur or complain. Keep that bitterness from me, Lord. I wanted to close this morning. Thank you for your good attention. And I hope this will be a blessing in your life. I want to go to Psalm 104 just to to close our thoughts and our minds out on this, this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful passage. Psalm 104, and I wanted to go to verse 31. What is sweet and why? The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in His works. He looketh on the earth and it trembleth. He touches the hill and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of Him shall be sweet. There's the sweetness, beloved. It's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. So whenever life is bitter, turn to the sweet one. Turn to him that is altogether lovely. He that can make the bitter sweet. My meditation of him will be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you as our prayer.